You're listening to The Marketplace, a podcast that's meant to inspire other creatives to make meaningful strides in their own personal and professional life. My name is Priest Willis Sr., and I'm an entrepreneur, investor, author, and all-around inquisitive guy. I'm sitting down with other creators to talk about their process and lessons they've learned on getting the answers to the questions many of us are looking for. Let's get ready to roll. Hey, family, welcome back to the Marketplace Podcast. I'm your host, Priest Willis. And on today's episode, number 201, I'm joined with Michelle Valburn. And Michelle is a CPA, tax strategist, and owner of the Valburn Group. And he wants you to stop waiting until tax time to think about taxes as an obligation. He wants you to see it much more strategically within your business and in your own personal use as we see taxes. So the reason why we're releasing this episode, obviously, it's a bit early, but I wanted to do it before April came. I wanted you guys to start taking advantage of some of these strategies, whether you use it for your vehicles, whether you use it for your business, if you don't have a business, why you should start a business and the different offerings that Michelle has. I think he has been one of the most interesting people that I've talked to from a tax perspective. People start hearing about numbers and figures and facts and they start to go to sleep. Do not sleep on this podcast episode. This is something you absolutely want to listen to for your business and your own personal use. And I guarantee you, it's not something you're going to hear at H&R Block or Jackson Hewitt, or maybe even your CPA like you'll hear in my case. So without further ado, here is my man, Michelle Vabern. Michelle, welcome to the program, my man. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, man. Excited to have you on. I've been... um I've been following you around on Instagram. I just talked to you offline a bit about all the content I've been taking in. I really love how you kind of, I mean, you've really branded yourself in a really unique way. I mean, you got stuff all the way down to, I believe it was an hour and a half of chill beats if you're just sitting down. So I let that play a little bit while I was digging into your stuff. You have like a, um, well, you have a Spotify list that's more engaging hip hop. Uh, but then you have another YouTube playlist that is much more music, instrumental, jazz based in some areas, some up-tempo beats. I, I, you just you're all over the place with something that to me, you know, for a long time, people have seemed to be bored with it, I guess, is the answer. But you found a way to really kind of step the brand up in the in the way you speak to a new generation of people that need to better understand their own taxes. So I love what you're doing out here. Um, but why don't you, if you can, tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's been it's an honor to to be here. And I appreciate all the, the the nice words and kind words about that. But yeah, yeah, really, my name is my name is Michelle Valbrun. I'm a certified public accountant, CPA, tax strategist, and award winning author of the book Prolific Profit: How Successful Businesses Maximize Profits and Dominate the Market and also founder and president of the Valbrun Group. And what we do is we help entrepreneurs, business owners, investors save $10,000 to $100,000 legally and ethically using proactive tax strategies. And really the way that looks like is we take our clients through a process and really do a deep dive on their, their life, their business, and really help them come up with a concrete plan in order to be able to save proactively on taxes. And you know, we, I've been in the industry for over, for over 10 years now. And actually in the past year, I've been able to help our clients save, you know, over $9 million in taxes. So it's a real honor 
and you know just continuing to build out the brand put myself out there i'm also a writer and contributor for entrepreneur magazine so it's a it's a real honor I actually released an article in december just talking about some year-end tax planning strategies so you guys definitely could check that out and yeah it's this is what i do I, I love doing it i love seeing the results for for people and really you know, and this this intro might be a little bit longer than you expected, but I did mm, want to share. Uh, yeah, I did want to share a quick story as to like how I got into it, and you know how it all really started for me. So, you know, my parents were entrepreneurs; they actually had their own tax business, but I didn't I didn't think that I was going to get into taxes, and it was tax prep. So they're just more focused on tax prep. And you know, growing up, you know, I wanted to. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to get into business. And as I was in undergrad, one of my professors said that. You know, if you want to own a business, if you want to get into be a really successful business owner, you need to get into accounting. He said accounting is the language of business. So that's what I did. So I ended up going to the University of Florida. It's like one of the top 10, if not 15 uh, accounting programs in the country. Went there. And during that time, I actually volunteered at this this organization called VITA. And what they do is they help they help lower income individuals be able to prepare their taxes for free. So I think if, if you make like less than 50,000, you can go go ahead and work with someone there and be able to get your taxes done. And I was working with this couple and they were entrepreneurs as well. They had a small business. It wasn't making a lot of money. And the husband, once I completed the tax return, he, he asked me, he's like, well, how do I proactively save money on taxes next year? Cause he ended up owing money and I froze. Like <laughs> I didn't know what to tell him. I didn't have a good answer for him. I, I I didn't know. I was just so focused on tax prep and didn't know what business owners, entrepreneurs needed to do to proactively save money on taxes. And really for me, that was a turning point because, you know, here I am, even though they're working with me for free, I felt like I had a duty really to be able to give them that information because that's a very good question. Like why why not it's one thing to get your taxes done, but what the real, where the real value is being able to proactively save money on taxes. So mm. through that, you know, I went ahead and invested in a ton of programs with, with like top tax experts in the world, tax attorneys, and really honed the craft and really studied understanding how to proactively save money on taxes. Cause really, honestly, if you look at the accounting profession, well, really, really, if you look at the way the universities are set up, and even the CPA exam, it's really geared towards helping you and having you work in corporate America. So you you understand accounting from like a corporate standpoint, but not under, not necessarily what small businesses can do in order to save money on taxes. So yeah, that's kind of my journey, and that's how I got into it. And like I said, over the past years, you know, I've been able to help my clients save millions of dollars. Also, use that as a way to increase wealth for themselves and their family. So it's 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 exciting. I'm loving it. That's dope, man. Really dope. So you bring up a good point about somebody coming to talk about their taxes and understanding how to get the best out of their taxes, basically. And that's the biggest challenge I think we have in America is either the overpayment of taxes or among the rich, there is an underpayment of taxes. That means somewhere in the middle, there's a right way of doing it. Meaning if the average American, which I believe the number you you tell me if I'm right or wrong. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% sometimes are overpaying in taxes. Mm-hmm. Yet when you look at Amazon, Walmart, companies like that, the CEOs of their companies, because there are CEO pay loopholes out there and so forth and so on, there's there's an underpayment of taxes being done. So there's almost like this middle 
chasm of uh-huh. what are people missing? What are what is the average American missing that they're overpaying? And what is the 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 others, if you will, the the Jeff Bezos? What are they figuring out that they're underpaying in taxes? Donald Trump. I mean, he's the n- most notorious one for seven hundred and fifty dollars for, for <laughs> you know past hundred years. I, I, you know, I understand that, you know, it when you have businesses, it can almost become like a, a shell game in some sense. That's probably not the right word, but just roll with me here. Um, yeah. And so that's how a lot of these business owners do it is they create businesses. Sometimes they're legal. Sometimes they're not. I mean, I'm not I'm not here to get into the specifics of it. But the point is, there's opportunities out there, Michelle, that, you know, people are finding average people how do I get into that? How do I how do I start taking advantage? If I'm listening to this podcast just today, how do I jump into? I want to stop overpaying. I want to start underpaying. What do I need to be doing first? Yeah, that's a great question. So, as it relates to saving money on taxes and just taxes in general, like you said, you brought up a great point. Like seventy percent of people are overpaying in taxes, and I think there you made some of your listeners or even just people in general may not really believe that and not be aware of that. So that's that's the first thing is having that awareness. And just to help you guys get a little bit of awareness on this. So think about this. When you make money, you pay income tax. When you pay for something, you pay sales tax. When you purchase property, you pay property tax. When you sell the property for more than what you paid for it, you pay capital gains tax. Same thing with stocks as well. Mm. And then when you die... You pay someone, someone's paying the state tax, right? So it's like you're getting hit left and right with taxes all day, every day. And it really comes out to like, if you really break it down, it comes out to like close to 50% of your income is going towards taxes. So, you know, what I tell my clients, what I tell people is, and I walk them through a process called the CPA success system. So I'm really big on acronyms because when I was in school, when I was studying for the CPA exam, I use acronyms to help me remember or memorize certain things that I needed to know in order to be able to, to pass these exams. So I created an acronym called the CPA success system. It's the, it's a process and methodology that we take our clients through. The first part of that is clarity. So understanding currently where you're at with your situation. So now you guys have some clarity. You guys have the clarity of knowing that you're likely overpaying in taxes. The next part of that is power. So having the tools, knowledge, information that you need in order to be able to proactively save money on taxes. And the last part of that is accountability is working with a professional in order to help you do that. So if you go through that process, you know, you'll have a really good chance of being able to not only save money on taxes, but accomplish anything you want to. So that's, that's, that's one side piece, but specifically in the area of taxes, there's a saying out there that there's two tax systems in the United States. There's one for the rich and there's one for the poor. And personally, I believe that you don't have to be rich in order to be able to take advantage of the different things that are out there for taxes. Really, when it comes down to taxes, it's really the two tax systems is one for the enlightened and one for the ignorant. And when I say ignorant, I just mean it. If you look at the word, if you look at the definition of ignorant, it just means a lack of information and knowledge. So having that knowledge is going to be able to help you and empower you to save money on taxes. So really, when it as it relates to being able to save money on taxes, there's really six big ways to do it. So the first way is maximizing. Well, even taking a step back, so the tax code is really geared towards benefiting business owners and investors. So if you look at the tax code, if you actually were to print out the tax code, there's over 70,000 pages in the tax code. And if you believe it or not, at least 80% of it is actually geared towards telling you ways to save money on taxes. 
So <laughs> it's it's just there's a small section of the, the, the IRS tax code that's telling you this is everything that you need to pay taxes on. These are all, this is everything that we consider income. And mm-hmm. then here are all the other ways that you can be able to reduce that number or maneuver in, in a certain way. Because what the government realized is that by taxing people, you can actually influence behavior. And the behavior that the government wants society to really get into is becoming business owners and investors because that helps the economy that increases GDP that circulates money. So wait, hold, hold on there, Michelle, that, that is really good. So the government really wants to, to input taxes to drive a certain behavior. And one of the behaviors is starting a business that is very, very key. Right yeah. there, what you just said. That is really good. So these tax codes are set up to drive a behavior. The behavior in some of these cases is business ownership. I know you're going to maybe talk about, I just bought a piece of property a couple of months ago. It, they're, they're really trying to drive you in those directions, aren't they? They're yeah. Really trying to, yep. Yeah, 100%. Because if you think about it, so as a business owner, what are you doing? So you're creating a product, you're creating a service for society. So that's, that's, that's one great thing. But then on top of that, you are employing people. So you're giving people jobs and entrepreneurs and small businesses actually employ like 90% of the country. Like, you know, we look at these big companies like the Amazons, the, the Walmarts, the, the Facebooks of the world. And we see these huge companies, Apple, and we're thinking that a lot of the employees and, you know, the workforce is from those companies, but really, if you look at it, it's really small businesses that are employing the majority of the country. So they want to encourage people to become business owners, right? As business owners, again, you're scaling, you're creating this this big business entity, you're spending money, and you're creating commerce in the country. So that's one thing. And so that's all. That's all Amazon is doing is exploiting the fact of hey, you know, the laws are there for us. Now, is it right or wrong? Well, you know, we'll leave that up to you. But we're just exploiting the tax code that has driven us to create a business. Jeff Bezos has created Amazon, which is a very viable business, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, theoretically, he's he's found those those loopholes within the taxes. So you need to do the same. Not that I think it's right that we not pay taxes. That's not the that's not the discussion you and I are having here. Mm-hmm. The discussion that you and I are having is stop overpaying taxes and stop being in your words, which I think is the appropriate word, stop being ignorant. We're not insulting anyone. It's just to say that, you know, sometimes my kids ask me questions. They can find anything they want to online. And then it's the regular stuff for school that they like, dad, can you tell me about such, such? I'm like, dude, you went to research everything else about NBA 2K and now you want to ask me, you know? So, so it's, it's about us having knowledge, just as you said. So those companies are exploiting exploiting maybe isn't the right word, but they're just leveraging those those tax areas. So your suggestion to a regular person is, hey, you need to be starting a business. But now, Michelle, what kind of business should they be starting? Should it be LLC? Should it be S Corp? What about what about the person that's sitting in their room that's saying, well, I don't have necessarily tax protections because I'm a sole proprietor, but I am a sole proprietor and I'm doing hobby type stuff. Can they go off and take advantage of some of this tech stuff that we're talking about right now? Yeah, absolutely. So it's just, again, being aware of the rules and knowing what's allowable and what's not allowable. So the first thing is, yeah, absolutely. So as a business owner, 
you open up yourself to several tax benefits and incentives because again they want you to be an entrepreneur and business owner same thing as an investor too they want you to be an investor because you're investing in these big companies that continue to grow and continue to produce and create services for for the country so as it relates to having a business so one of the things is as long as really so you have and you brought up a great concept of of hobbies right so there's a difference between a hobby and a business in the irs's eyes a, a business or a trade or profession is when you are in the pursuit of profit, when you are in the pursuit of revenue. So if you are in the pursuit, if you are actively working on trying to achieve and create and make money in this endeavor, then the IRS will show will, will likely see that as a business. There is there are instances like they have what's called like a hobby loss rule. So if you have losses for your for your business for more than three years, they may they may question whether that's actually a business, and may look at it as a hobby because some people try to use a business or their hobbies, excuse me, as a write off. So, anyways, as it relates to as it relates to writing off things for your business, so one, let's go ahead and get the business um, set up. So, and you don't need, necessarily need an LLC, S corp, C corp, anything to do that. You all you literally need to do is just go out there be in the business of making profit for your your business endeavor. That's that's like the most basic way to do it. I don't recommend have being set up like that, but you don't the reason I'm putting that out there is because sometimes I have clients that come to me is like I didn't set up my LLC. I didn't you know create my corporation. I didn't register with the state. Can I still write it off on my taxes? And the answer is like absolutely yes. Like if you spent money on a specific business and it's a legitimate business, you're not just using it as a tax write-off and you're out there, you were out there trying to pursue profit. Maybe you made some money, maybe you didn't make a lot of money, but you but you spent money, like you bought supplies and goods and all those kind of things for your business, then you can go ahead and write that off. So that's one piece. But then, okay, so you have the business now. Let's say you're just a sole proprietor. You haven't done anything formally to go ahead and get that set up. So there's four requirements in order for you to be able to write things off in the business. And I call this tax-free, another another acronym that I use. So free relates for the four requirements. So the, the first part of that free is F. So the expense and the deduction needs to be for business. So it needs to be for the business that you're in. So for instance, maybe you own an ice cream shop, right? So any expenses that you spend on the ice cream shop that's for that business, you can go ahead and deduct for that. The next requirement that the IRS is an ordinary are cups, spoons, napkins, the, the the actual ice cream, all that kind of stuff is ordinary and regular for that business. If they start buying things like nail supplies, hair, uh, those kind of things don't necessarily relate to the ice cream business. Next part of that is E, what the IRS considers, why I call essential. The IRS calls that necessary. So what's going to be necessary in order for you to operate that business? Going back to the ice cream shop, the lights, the building, the pretty much the utilities to keep the business functioning is pretty much essential for that business to operate effectively. And then the last part of that is economical. So it needs the expenses need to be economical or as the IRS says, not lavish or extravagant. So that means for the ice cream shop, the business owner is able to have like business meals, right? They can meet out if they're meeting with a client or a new customer, they can have a business meal. But if, you know, every time they're going out to have that business meal, they're going to, you know, um, 
a really expensive restaurant dropping like $10,000 on a meal <laughs> for one night, then that's, that's lavish and extravagant. So it just needs to be reasonable. And then going back to your question about how, how do, how do business owners need to be structured? So this is actually, believe it or not, this is actually a concept that not even like a lot of CPAs are, are even conscious or aware of. Cause again, they're not really taught this in, in school. But you have this concept of legal entities and tax entities. All right. So the legal entities are registered with the state. It's at the state level and it gives you the protection for your business. They, it, it could potentially give you uh, protection for your business. So a legal entity would be a sole proprietorship, a partnership, a corporation, an LLC, which is a limited liability company. So those things are registered at the state level and they could potentially give you protection from your business. So out of those legal entities, a limited liability company, LLC, and a corporation could provide you legal protection, meaning that if someone were to come sue you, sue your business, they can't come after your personal assets, which is your home, your bank account, your car, all those kind of things are protected if you maintain what's called the corporate veil, meaning that you're you're actually showing there's a distinction between you and the business. So one of the important things that a lot of people aren't doing is having like a separate business account for their business to make that distinction, to make it like a separate individual. And that's what's going to give you that protection. So that's legal entities. And then on top of that, you have what I call, or what are called tax entities. And that's how you're taxed. So you're taxed as, you could either be taxed as a sole proprietorship, a partnership, an S corp or a C corp. And all of those have different impacts. So as an, as an LLC, the great thing with the LLC is that you're able to pick how you're going to be taxed. So you have more options as to how you can be taxed. So you get the legal protection, which is amazing. You need to have that in place, but then you can go ahead and choose to, as a default, if you're just a one person business, or you're just a single owner, then you're, the default setting is going to be a sole proprietorship. So you'd be a sole proprietor. What of those have the most tax benefits? Yep, so, I'm, 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 yep, I'm about to get into that. So yep. you have the you have the sole proprietorship. You have the you can elect to be the the sole proprietorship is the default. Then you can elect to be what's called the S corp or the the C corp. So as far as like tax benefits are concerned, the tax entity that's probably going to give you give you the 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 biggest benefit is going to be the S corp. And the reason why that is, is because as a sole proprietorship, you get taxed at 15.3% on the profit of the business. So whatever you make from the business, you get hit with, with what's called self-employment tax, which is 15.3%. That 15.3%, that number comes from like payroll taxes. So you have your FIDA, SUDA, all those things. So like when you're working a W-2 job, you're paying 7.65 and your employer is paying 7.65. That's that's how the the payroll system works. So as a as a business owner, you're the employer and the employee. So you're paying that fifteen point three to to pay for to pay for those taxes. So the tax strategy there then is switching over to an S corp because with an S corp, instead of getting hit with that fifteen point three automatically on the profit of the business, that fifteen point three then gets applied to the salary that you pay yourself. So one of the requirements is that you need to pay yourself what's called a reasonable compensation. And that can save you like literally thousands, if not seven to 10, you know, $10,000 sometimes because what's happening is you have the, let's say you have like $60,000 in profit 
and you pay yourself you pay yourself fifty thousand. So now you're only paying paying um that fifteen point three on the fifty thousand. So that's you know that that net difference is a couple hundred there, and it can get bigger. You can imagine as you get have more money in your business, that difference is going to it's going to be exponential. So that is really the key. The corporation, the corporation, depending on several factors, it may save you more money than the S corp, but really, you know, that, that requires like a really detailed calculation. So one of the things that we do with our clients is a legal entity optimization. So we're comparing the difference between the S corp and the C corp. The S corps actually get hit with their own tax. So they get hit with a flat, um, right now it's 21%. Uh, President-elect Biden, if he's able to go ahead and get his proposed tax plan in, then it's going to increase to, I believe, 28% now. And then, again, they still have to pay their salary, et cetera, on it. So that's that's how it works like for, for corporations. But really, for most entrepreneurs and business owners, if you make more than $50,000 in profit, so not revenue, but profit from the your business, or you, if you think you're going to make more than $50,000, then you definitely want to consider switching over to the S-Corp. You do need to make what's called the S Corp election within the first 75 days of the year. So March 15th is your deadline if you want to go ahead and make that election. And then you have to fill out what's called Form 2553 is the form that you need to go ahead and fill out in order to make that S Corp election and make sure you put yourself on payroll, pay yourself that salary, and then you're rocking and rolling with that. So I guess the when I look at that makeup, which I think you've laid out perfectly in terms of legal entities, tax entities, and then how taxes are implied throughout the different corporations. When I look at it and I think about it, year one, again, I'm just taking ordinary citizen, Joe or Jane, whoever you want to pick, they're not making a bunch of money. In fact, they're probably going to lose in their first year. So what I would do for the legal entity or the protection place is maybe start off with the, um, the LLC just to kick it off. And because you're not really going to get any tax implication, any, uh, tax improvements because you're not making any money. But then as you make money, what the S Corp offers from a tax benefit perspective then comes into play because there's real money there. Otherwise, so if people are, I I guess the point is what I'm trying to say, and Michelle, you just tell me, Priest, you're wrong. Guys, listen to me. Don't listen to Priest. He knows he only plays the CPA on TV. So I guess what you're saying is well, frankly, you could start off anyway, but if you want an easy, less abrasive road to jump into, obviously, sole proprietorship, you can almost do that automatically off your social security, but you lose the legal entity or the protections around it. Mm-hmm. You get some of the tax improvements around it. Yep. But if you're going to start something simple within your state, do an LLC, like in North Carolina, here's 150 bucks or whatever it is, and yep. let one two-year maybe tops where you're making actual money. And then once you feel like the business is trending, you see your Excel spreadsheets, the business is trending, seeing 50, 60, 70, 80% year over year growth, then it makes sense to go to the S Corp because now you're having real money to play with. Otherwise, if you're starting year one, you may be setting yourself up for something that isn't there. There's nothing to pay yourself. Right. You know what I mean? There's no money that's being brought in. In fact, it's just all going out the back door. Or maybe it doesn't matter at all, right? Maybe maybe I'm overthinking it because I'm always getting into LLCs and I always think that's the less, you know, it's it's not a hard road to travel. But you tell me, I mean, does anyone make a difference or would you just say, get one started? Oh, no, you, 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 you hit the nail on the head with that one. So, yeah, absolutely. If you're just starting off, 
I would recommend starting off as an LLC sole proprietorship, see how it goes. And then from there, you can go ahead and make that S-corp election. The IRS does provide some relief to make what's called a late S election. You do have to write a letter to them explaining why you're late. And, you know, it's this process that you have to go through. So it's possible. But yeah, to your point, I mean, I started off my business as an LLC sole proprietorship. And honestly, just full transparency, my first started, my company was running at a loss. And many companies, when they first start off, you end up Mm -hmm. losing money because you're investing all this money, trying Mm -hmm. to get your brand out there, trying to get your name out there. So, and again, like the IRS does allow, or they provide some leeway with you having losses for, you know, three years consecutively until they start to question whether you actually have a business. So that's probably the best way to go. But then also too, on the flip side, maybe you have a proven business model, right? Maybe you have a business that's, that is, you already, you already know it's going to take off. Like I, I met with a client um, this year, they started off as an LLC sole proprietorship. It was like a medical staffing company. They started in March and they closed out the year with like $3 million, which is Whoa. unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's insane. They didn't predict it. They're actually working their full-time jobs. They had no idea, but it just like took off. So that, that can happen too, right? Yeah, generally speaking, yeah, go ahead and start. Uh, unless you know for sure, like you have a really detailed plan and you already have people paying you money or people are coming to you and you're established, chances are for most people, you're probably going to bet your best bet is LLC, sole proprietorship. And in fact, most business owners um, honestly make, I would say like, I think, what was that? I forget the statistic, but I think less than 70% of business owners yeah. uh, make more than 100000 or two yeah. fifty in their business. So yeah, yes. Now, now, Michelle, let me ask this. I purchased a house, as we talked about a few months ago. What is it? If anything, and maybe this is a more broader question that I want to ask, but what is it that I need to be telling my CPA versus my CPA telling me? So I'll, I'll be very transparent. I have a CPA here in North Carolina. I always, because I'm anal like this, prepare stuff for her before she actually prepares my taxes because um, I have a business, I have an LLC, we have other investments and stuff like that. And I don't want her to miss it or I I always prepare stuff because I want to prompt her to ask questions that I don't mm-hmm. I may not know. So I'm a little bit anal that way. But so I, I guess this is a two part question for you. What are some things that CPA folks may not be telling us? And I'm primarily talking about the person that's just a W two person maybe walking in a H and R block and thinking it's no big deal or jumping on QuickBooks. What what may be some things that they're missing? And what may be some other things more directly towards real estate that I should be asking or taking advantage of that I may not? So that's a two-part question. What should the average person be taking advantage of? Either the ones doing their own taxes on QuickBooks or going into an H&R block. And then separately for those homeowners this year who jumped in the market, what are some things that maybe their CPAs are going to tell them that they should be taking advantage of? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So I'll start off with what the, the average W-2 worker could be could be doing. So again, like I said, the tax code really benefits business owners and entrepreneurs uh, and, and investors. So with that, you're a little bit limited as to what you can do as it relates to taxes. So really your best bet is one, you can take either what's called the standard deduction or itemized deduction. So the standard deduction is just the automatic deduction that you get as a, a tax filer. So for 
this upcoming tax season or, or for 2021 tax year 2021, they e- increase the standard deduction to 12,550 for single filers. And it is 18,800 for head of household. And I believe it's 2,500 for individuals uh, filing filing jointly. So you have the standard deductions, automatic deduction. You don't have to do any work for that. You automatically get that. Then on the other side of that, you have what are called itemized deductions. So itemized deductions are deductions that you can calculate and add up that could potentially be higher than the standard deduction. And if it is higher than the standard deduction, you can go ahead and take advantage of that. So really as it relates to, and then, and this is another thing too. So when uh, President Trump got into office, he created one of the biggest tax reforms in, in, in the past 30 years. So he completely changed the tax code to, in his, in his belief, he wanted to simplify it to get it to the size of like a postcard for the, the average American. So he increased this, he doubled the standard deduction to make it harder for people to itemize their deductions. So as it relates to itemized deductions, you could deduct for medical and dental expenses that you pay out of pocket. Uh, you can deduct for taxes that you already paid for the year. So as a homeowner, you can deduct for property taxes, real estate taxes, et cetera, et cetera. So you can add that up. Mortgage, you could pay for, there's another section with interest. This is also on the itemized uh, deduction. So interest that you paid for the year. So the more home mortgage home interest that you paid, uh, you know, mortgage insurance premiums. Then you have gifts and contributions that you can, you can um, write off as well. That's limited to your adjusted gross income. And so what, if you add all those numbers up and that's higher than your standard deduction, then that can give you some more savings. Also too, as just a, a W2 worker, you want to make sure that you're taking advantage of your, retirement plan that that you got your job, your 401k, right? And 401k is actually just the section of the tax code. That's where the name 401k comes from. 401k, you can contribute for this tax year. I know for 2020, it was uh, 19,500. I believe they're increasing that this year, Um, but you can contribute to the 401k. So with the 401k, you can contribute that 19,500 pre-tax dollars. So that gives you an automatic tax deduction within the year. And then you can, you can go ahead and have that written off for, for tax purposes. You can also create and have and contribute to what's called a self-directed IRA. So this is another retirement account Mm -hmm. that you can contribute to um, outside of your job. And the great thing with the self-directed IRA is actually gives you more flexibility as to what you can invest in. That's why it's called self-directed. So, with the traditional 401k, you're limited to only investing in mutual funds and some stocks and some some cash of funds that they have. So it's pretty. I think they give you like a choice of like twenty to thirty, depending on the the brokerage company that you're working for. But with the self directed, that's when you can actually take that money pre tax, contribute to that account, and then use that and invest in it however you want to, and you don't have to pay capital gains tax on. So you pull, pull out that, pull out that money for retirement. So that's a, a really, that's a, like another strategy um, from, a, from an investing standpoint that you can use the self-directed IRA. You can actually do real estate with the self-directed IRA, um, believe it or not. So you can also do, it gives you more flexibility as to how you can invest into that account. So that is what the, the average W-2 worker is going to be able to, to get. You also have child tax credits. If you make a certain amount, you know, you'll get some child tax credits as well, but those are going to be your best bet as far as what you could deduct. Yeah, no, that that's really good. And this is why I always emphasize to everybody who's in the workforce, 
there's some people out there that say, look, I'm not interested in being a boss. I don't mind going to a nine to five. It still doesn't mean you should not optimize to your fullest, your 401k and all that. So, you know, if there's places that maximize your your contribution or they pay you or they meet you at 6%, take them all the way up to their 6%. You know, yeah, start leverage, yep, you know your HSA uh, at minimum. That's right. Do the 6% at minimum. Your HSA health savings account. You know, you know, you're going to go to a doctor for a doctor visit. If you have ongoing glasses or something of that nature, you should be putting money away and taking advantage of some of that. And then outside of that, as um, as Michelle is talking about here, you should be looking at other alternatives to offset some of those taxes you have, because at the top of the hour, when we talked, this is how people get caught up in overpaying taxes. They they're getting taxed once. And then they're all of a sudden putting their money back in the pool to be taxed again. And you're just overpaying. Or some people love to have refunds. People get super excited. You always see memes on Instagram uh, where people get their refunds. And to me, refunds is a loss. That's an L because that means somebody's been holding on to your money that you should have been working at some level. Right. In, in yeah. my mind. Yeah, no, that's 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 exactly what's going on. So if you're getting a refund, that just means that you overpaid in taxes. The government's like, oh, well, l- let me go ahead and give you your money back. And then uh, that's another thing, too. Um, And I kind of touched on it. But going back to being a and this is again, it's going to be a, it's, it's going to be a personal decision for you. But really being when you especially now like with given given the time period that we're living we're living like in a very unique time period we've never been it's never been so easy to start a business mm-hmm. and starting a business is not as intimidating as you think it, you can literally create any kind of business for less than $500 go out there and then you just open yourself up to to having all these different tax benefits so even if you're a w2 worker you know you don't no one's no one's telling you to 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 quit your job and jump ship and become a full-time entrepreneur. But again, if there's anything that you like, so my, I'll, I'll give you an example. So my wife, she is, she loves wine. She, she talks about wine. She drinks wine. She's really into wine. So she created a wine business, right? And, and she, and it's actually a real business. She's selling wine. She's making money. And, but, and, but she's also able to do what she really enjoys. So, and what's it, what's it called? Let's give her a shout out. Yeah. The wine rack. The wine rack is my. Oh, that's dope. That's a yeah. dope. Wait a minute. Is her URL the wine rack.com or something? I believe it's, and I should know this. It's the, it's, it's, I believe it's the wine rack.com and rack spelled R A C. So that's the first three letters of her name, Raquel. So yes, uh, the wine rack.com. Like and I she like also coincident, and this is, and this is how she's taking it to another level. She loves traveling, right? So what she does, what she's creating, she also created what's called is Passport to Pino. So she does guided wine tours with individuals, come, creates packages for them. So if you wanted to go to Napa Valley or, or Paris or, or Naples or, you know, all these places where there's a huge wine presence and there's vineyards and all that kind of stuff, she also has tours that she does. And she still, and she still has a full-time job. So it's, again, it's not as difficult or challenging but again you know again it's a personal decision and not only not from a not only from a tax perspective if we really want to get into it um priest but like generate creating wealth in this country like Mm. you can only 
you can only make so much at your W two job. You can only make so much on uh, at your job. But as an entrepreneur, business owner, it's it's unlimited the amount of money you can make, and you have more control of your destiny. But again, it, it's a personal decision. But going back to your question, I don't want to get too off topic. No, but- no, because you 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 are hitting on the right points. I think that you know I don't want to, and we shouldn't leave any. If you have a business. You can do what's within your home that you use exclusively for business and use it often. Then you can deduct a portion of your home expenses for, excuse me, take that as a deduction for your business. So your utilities, property taxes, et cetera, can be used. Um, well, you take the square footage of that, that home office space divided by the square footage of your total home. Let's say that's 10%. So 10% of those those items could be deducted for tax purposes. So that's one thing. You also, like I talked about with the itemized deduction, you have the mortgage interest that you can deduct, property property taxes you can deduct. So that is going to be some more tax deductions for you if you're itemizing your deductions. Also, you have the home sale exclusion. So if you sell your home, you know, you have the property, you have the capital gains tax that you would have to pay if you sell property for more than what you paid for it. But then you have the home exclusion, which gives you, which allows you to be able to sell your property and then be able to exclude, I believe, up to 250 of the sale of the home from taxes. So that's that's a great benefit. So that's what you get just as a, a regular just homeowner. But then on the investment side, again, remember, they want you they want to incentivize you to be an investor. And again, and why do they care about people? become an investor. So as an investor with properties, you're creating housing for people. So this is, again, the government doesn't want to spend, they, they don't want to spend tax dollars doing these things. They, like, they don't want to provide housing. They don't want to have to figure out and manage and handle all people. So if someone's willing to take that on and willing to put up their money to do it, mm-hmm. they're all for it. So they're going to give mm-hmm. you the benefits to do that. So as an investor, you open yourself up to, to other tax strategies as well. So if you have if you have a property, if you own a property, and again, there's a lot of other benefits on top of the tax benefits. Again, a very great way to be create to be able to create wealth for yourself and your family. But as a real estate investor, if you own property, you can go ahead and deduct for the expenses related to maintaining it and having that property. So you can pay. You could write off for advertising. You can write off for auto and travel. So I actually did recently did a post on on traveling. So if you're visiting that property. You could be able to deduct for for that visit. So let's say you're spending money on, you know, maybe an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi to be able to visit that property, or you're driving there to see the property. The mileage from that you can be able to deduct for that. Cleaning and maintenance is another thing that you could deduct for property legal and uh, and professional fees. So if you're working with a CPA, you can be able to 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 be able to write that off as well. So those those are the kind of things. Management fees like there's just a ton repairs. I mean, there's a ton of things in it. Again, as a as just a W two worker, if you want to work with a CPA tax preparer, that's cool. But it's, you you don't get a deduction for that. You do get the deduction then. Again, if you become if you're a business owner or investor, because they want you to, they want to incentivize you to do these kind of things. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what about the worst investment of all that people tend to have around them is their vehicle, right? Because as soon as you pull it off the lot, it depreciates in value. Then it really sits there, and most vehicles don't really drive back any value. I know somebody's listening to the podcast. Like, well, I have a '62 Chevy. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the <laughs> vehicle. What do they, are there any benefits that they have? I mean, I I think I watched a TikTok or something 
or not a TikTok, but an Instagram reel uh, a week ago where somebody was like, what, what is the one thing you heard that you feel is illegal? And I think somebody said that they could write off parts of their vehicle over period of time what's the right information about a vehicle that you could take it in yeah so again as a yep. probably could use as a business in parts of it as a business vehicle yeah so as a business owner you can write off your vehicle or a portion of your vehicle so the requirement is you have to use the vehicle for business purposes and there's several ways that you can do it so you can either do actual expenses that you spend on the vehicle or you could be able to take take advantage of mileage or the standard deduction for for vehicles. So the way it works is this. So if you have if you have a business again if you're if you have a business you're able to deduct the mileage that you commute for business purposes. So let's say that you're driving to meet a client, let's say you're driving to buy supplies, let's say you're going to a conference or a seminar, anything related to your business you're able to deduct 56 cents for every mile that you drive during the year. One of the things that people don't often do, which they you need to do and what's actually required is for you to document and record those miles and have detailed records of the miles that you're driving to be able to go ahead and calculate that. So that's the the standard mile. Then that's then that's the easiest. Usually it makes sense to do that if you have an economical vehicle. So if your vehicle is not like a gas guzzler, it the maintenance is low on it, maybe you have a hybrid or some kind of economical vehicle, maybe a Honda Accord or something like that, then you probably mileage is going to be your best bet in that instance. On the other side of that, you have what is called the actual expenses for the vehicle. So the actual gas, uh, oil changes, tire repairs, all those kind of things, you could be able to deduct for that. So that those are the actual expenses as it relates to the vehicle. Now, going back to what you saw on TikTok about the riding off the vehicle, that's actually... 100% legal, 100% allowed, and the IRS, again, <laughs> encourages you to do that because you are spending money in the country, like you're buying you're, you're buying vehicles, you're, like you're spending money, and vehicles is, is usually a big investment or a, a big cost, um, so to speak. So you have two options as it relates, well, you have a couple options as it relates to riding off that vehicle. So if the vehicle is... Over uh, 6,000 pounds, you're able to deduct, uh, I think, up to 25,000 of that mm-hmm. vehicle amount fully within the year. So that's number one. So that's just off the bat. So that's what sometimes what a lot of people do at the end of the year is if they know that they're going to pay a lot of money in taxes, they'll just go ahead and purchase a vehicle. And that's why a lot of times you may see a business owner having owning like a truck or a heavier vehicle because it, it, it meets that $6,000 pound um threshold or, or, or limit and they go ahead and write off that vehicle. So that's one way to do it. So my 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 vehicle is five thousand five hundred pounds. I think once I put my auntie there. <laughs> <laughs> we should just keep her in there and then I'll get the write off. No, let, me, let me stop. I'm, I'm just kidding. Okay, go ahead. I shouldn't have done no, that's that. funny. Go ahead. Um so yeah that's that's the way it works on that one. And then and then um, you also have, if it's under uh, the 5,000 and it's again, related for business. And I, I would say, I think the threshold is like 75%. It needs to be, you have to show that it's, it's really used for business. Then you can deduct, you could take a uh, depreciation. You can, you could take big chunks of depreciation with that year. So the first year you put in service, you can take off, you can write off 10,100 on that. The second year you can write off 16,100. 
thirty, or you can write off nine thousand seven hundred. Yeah, and that's then each what percent you're saying. Year, yep, yeah. each percent a year is five thousand seven hundred and sixty. And this uh-huh. is all legal, ethical. That's this is like this is totally legit. Yeah, so that's so that's one. Then you have another concept called bonus depreciation. So, and this is probably probably the the method that most people are going to probably go into because you get bigger deductions. So, if you add bonus depreciate the bonus depreciation on top of that, then you could actually write off eighteen thousand one hundred the first year, and then the the rest of the preceding years you can take off um, the same amount. So that's that's how it works. It is the it doesn't have to be a brand new vehicle. It just needs to be new for you placed in service that year and as a business owner you could do it wow i you know michelle the reason why this is so shocking is because my cpa hasn't volunteered this information like no she's never asked me hey do you have cars or did you buy it i mean they don't deep dive right and this was what i was driving to earlier was like I feel like I have to pull like, hey, what about this? I got this. What did we do here? This, that, and the other. I mean, the jewels you drop in here, brother, is like. Uh, I know. I think we probably may be wrapping up, but I think a very important point that I want to to drive home and I didn't bring up before is, yes, with your CPA, you know, I, I'm sure they're, they're a great person. They're, I'm not calling them incompetent or negligent or anything like that. But again, the C- the CPA exam is really geared towards your understanding of accounting business, not necessarily helping business owners. So again, I had to invest a lot of money in order to get this information. So what I call, so you have different levels and real quick, I, I think this is important because this is going to help people be able yeah. to find the right person yeah. to work with. Yeah. All right. So good, good, good. Yeah. So there's, there's actually levels to this whole tax world, right? So the first level is a tax preparer. So these are going to be the people at H&R Block, Jackson Hewitt, the mom and pop shops that are doing your taxes for you. And priest, if you wanted to tomorrow, you can go on Instagram tomorrow, say you're a tax preparer and all you really need is a P10, uh, a preparer tax identification number and do taxes for people. So there's no rules or anything preventing anyone from going out there and calling themselves a tax preparer. Hey guys, hope you got something out of that interview. I know that I did. I actually went off and purchased his tax strategies book. I think there's something for all of us in this interview, whether you're a sole proprietor, you want to start an LLC, you should see now why you shouldn't hold back on starting an LLC and just leverage some of these tax ideas from here. Again, guys, if you can go off, leave some feedback, email me, priest, P-R-I-E-S-T at insidethemarketplace.com. Also, Twitter at Priest Willis. And just feel free to leave feedback on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, wherever you may be listening to this podcast. We would really appreciate it. It helps us with driving more guests, more content that you want to hear. So until next Sunday, we'll talk to you soon.